0: Accounting is the language of business. There's a lot of techniques in accounting that can deceive users from the truth. Uh, Working on a case in the Seattle area where I'm based out of, that was a Chapter 11 case, series of real estate investment funds. It quickly unveiled itself to be the largest Ponzi scheme in Northwest U.S. history.
1: You're listening to Todd McDonald, CPA and co-founder of Validate. A Forensic Accounting Software Company. Welcome to the Fraud Fighter Podcast.
0: Behind Validate is to create a software platform for use by forensic professionals, forensic investigators needing to understand where did the money go or follow the
1: money. In this episode, we discuss how we uncovered the largest Ponzi scheme in the Northwest United States. The need for forensic accounting software. Why Validate was created to help investigators quickly follow the money and his observations in the financial and technology field. He's a CPA. He's also certified insolvency and restructuring advisor. He's the co-founder of Validate. Todd McDonald, welcome to the Fraud Fighter Podcast.
0: Nice to be with you, Robert.
1: Thank you, Todd, for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate your time. I have actually used some of your services, and we're going to talk about that today. What was your motivation to be in accounting and getting your CPA license?
0: It started early. It Actually, the high school that I went to actually had a accounting course, and debits and credits and P&Ls and balance sheets came pretty easily back then, uh, sophomore, junior year of high school. And just carried that through into a business school undergrad at University of Washington and checked that box for the accounting concentration. As soon as you do that, you're kind of on track generally to to start looking at accounting firms. I ended up at Ernst & Young as an auditor there, so it really started early. I read one of Warren Buffett quote a long time ago that accounting is the language of business. Yes. And that you really need to be comfortable with that to truly understand a business, not only what it's purporting to say, but also, as we all know, there's a lot of techniques in accounting that can deceive users from the truth. And so having that technical knowledge was something that was of interest to me early
1: on. So straight out of college, you went to Ernest & Young?
0: Correct. Out of the Seattle office in the audit practice.
1: Right. So how long did you stay with Ernest & Young?
0: I was there about three and a half years and ended up as often happens, taking a controller position with one of my clients.
1: How long were you a controller?
0: Uh, I was a controller slash director of finance at, let's see, three or four companies, kind of from my mid-20s to my early 30s. Most of them were technology companies, some big, some small. Lots of mergers and acquisitions and financing and kind of volatile operations, sometimes up and to the right and sometimes more of a restructuring bent.
1: I know what a CPA is. What exactly is a certified insolvency and restructuring advisor? What is that?
0: Yeah, it's a certification. The Association of Insolvency and Restructuring Advisors issues typically a three-year plan of training and exams, three exams in total to get it. It's made up primarily about 50% to of lawyers and about 50% of folks with more of a finance or accounting background. And it's really, the training is really there just to make sure everybody's very familiar with the general formal proceedings of bankruptcy and and the steps as a case moves through the bankruptcy court. But it's really there primarily to make sure that business of making sure that there is a large and substantial pie, so to speak, for creditors to get paid back from is there and present. So it's really kind of bringing a business sense for professionals to bankruptcy proceedings.
1: So you're there as an expert to help the bankruptcy trustee wind down the business, or are you there to kind of help put it on life support and hopefully get it back up and running again?
0: Yeah, it really just depends. There's a a lot of actual trustees themselves are CERAs as well as, as state receivers. And so it's really there to kind of talk about tools and techniques to efficiently and effectively move a Chapter 11 bankruptcy through to as favorable of an outcome as possible.
1: Okay. And Chapter 11 is restructuring?
0: Chapter 11 is restructuring, yeah, versus Chapter 7, which is a liquidation.
1: So the business is hopefully sticking around a little bit and still going on. It just needs needs some help through the bankruptcy court.
0: Or alternatively, quickly and effectively make a decision that, in fact, this should be a a liquidation, either a Chapter 7 liquidation or a Chapter 11, if there isn't sufficient hope for the ongoing operations.
1: So how did you go from internal audit, CFO, working for some tech companies to getting involved in forensic accounting?
0: Well, I was actually at at Microsoft for a relatively short period of time after One of my technology companies had gone through another acquisition, decided to try out Microsoft, which is, I lived a couple miles away from really amazing organization, but I'd been involved in two, in smaller organization, kind of measured in hundreds of people at too early in my career. Found that being one of 70 or 80,000 employees just wasn't a, a great fit for me where you're influencing a very small percentage of the pie. One of my previous bosses, CFO and CEO at one of the tech companies I was at, had an expertise in restructuring. And he was out working on some independent projects and cases uh, all around the country that were often chapter 11 or out-of-court workouts or kind of complex underwriting situations and decided to work together with him. And we ended up, uh, working on case in the Seattle area where I'm based out of. That was a Chapter 11 case, series of real estate investment funds. It quickly unveiled itself to be the largest Ponzi scheme in Northwest U.S. history. My partner was the court-appointed trustee, and we were sitting working together side by side, trying to figure out what was going on. Quickly found that it was a extremely large fraud, and that's really where my experience specific to forensic matters uh kicked in
1: so how did you uh wrap up that case well
0: case went on for quite a while uh it was a nearly a couple hundred million dollars of outstanding credit balances primarily to investors mom and pop investors from around the pacific northwest where the funds were based and our first step as soon as we realized that this indeed was a was a Ponzi, and in this case, the promoter and CEO of the funds admitted a couple days into the case that, in fact, half of the assets that were purported to exist on the balance sheet never existed. That was really our <laughs> tip off <laughs> uh, that this probably wasn't going to be a successful Chapter Eleven no. reemergence from bankruptcy and. Federal agencies, uh, IRS and Department of Justice, quickly got involved in the case and and ultimately moving forward with their their prosecution of the bad guy. Our job as the bankruptcy trustee was to maximize the recovery for the benefit of creditors for both Department of Justice and from the trustee standpoint. The only facts that we could really gather that were. Indeed, that fax was bank statement evidence. Right. The books and records were admittedly from, from Darren, the Ponzi, the promoter of the funds and, and uh, the Ponzi schemer. He just outright admitted that the books and records were totally beyond repair. And in fact, there was a number of clean audit opinions that we couldn't rely on the books and records. We couldn't rely on the financial you statements. S-
1: you, s- you said there there was clean opinions from a CPA. An auditor correct. that said that was correct, and then you find out when you look underneath the hood, that a lot of this is a Ponzi scheme. Correct. It surprises me. Well, I I don't know how the words CPAs firms can do an audit and, and miss half the assets or whatever whatever number it is. Ha- not know it's a Ponzi scheme, but
0: the task at hand was a pretty enormous. One, we had a lot of different fires as you can imagine to put out, and a lot of meetings to be had with creditors, and and through the bankruptcy. Process, But we ended up with a very large forensic exercise on our plate amid all of the other uh, tasks at at hand. And we ended up having to recreate the books and records directly from subpoenaed bank records, Mm -hmm. going back for the entire existence of the funds, which was about 11 or 12 years, roughly 50 accounts. Uh, 20 different related entities. And and as you, I know that you've seen before, you know, money transferred everywhere. Every day there was money moving between the various entities that existed within this group of real estate investment funds. That was a really big and painful task and one that was done separately and in parallel from the trustee standpoint. We needed it to verify creditor claims. We needed it to find assets to chase after, to liquidate. Mm -hmm. We needed it to be able to find other folks who ended up with money that shouldn't have and chase after that, along with clawbacks, et cetera. DOJ and the, the FBI forensic accounting team was doing the same exact work in parallel from a prosecution standpoint. So it was a very large effort being done by two different constituencies with two different goals and objectives yeah but ultimately the same source file same evidence same generally speaking output
1: right because when you when the federal government involves the grand jury and whatever information they get is part of the grand jury for a criminal standpoint they can't really disclose that to the to you guys, because it's part of the criminal process. So in order for you to do your job, you're going to have to recreate the books and records yourself.
0: They ultimately, when all of that grand jury work is done and, and as their diligence is, has been wrapped up, they're ultimately able to share that information sometimes with bankruptcy trustees and uh, related professionals, but you sure can't count on it. The specific timing and deliverable if you're going to get anything is always in question as a as a bankruptcy trustee.
1: The government holds the cards and if they want to turn it over, they can't, they don't want to, then too bad, too sad. You're still responsible to the bankruptcy court regarding your, what you're doing, your service that you're providing to them. So I completely understand.
0: Exactly right. Yeah. Yep.
1: yep. What made you start validate this company that you're a co-founder of? What is it?
0: Yeah, well, it really came out of that specific experience with the Meridian Ponzi scheme and just the sheer amount of time, latency and cost associated with getting at the bank statement evidence. I mean, we ended up with tens of thousands of pages of bank statements and the output that we needed was a reconciled database that was accurate Mm -hmm. where there was no missing or wrong or duplicate information. Coming from the technology world, as I looked at this big virtual pile of documents that I I needed to get at the data from, I looked around for software or tools that may be out there that could really assist with that process and and speed it up. There's some historical tools that are out there. Uh, It was kind of a fraction of what I was looking for in terms of the sophistication of the quality assurance process and the analysis after the data has been extracted. That was really the initial idea. Behind Validate is to create a a software platform for use by forensic professionals, forensic investigators needing to understand where did the money go or follow the money. As we kind of looked going back to the the failed audits of these particular funds, and going back to my starting off my career as an auditor, it really harkened back to the basic fundamental of auditing is that you're sampling transactions. You know, mm-hmm. Financial statements are just big piles of transactions. Sales, cost of goods sold, payroll expenses, et cetera, are just big piles of transactions. And the basic audit methodology that's been in place since the very onset, going back to the 1930s, where income statements uh, first became required elements of the financial statements as part of the Securities and Exchange Act, the basic premise is that you can't... Audit everything. So let's thoughtfully create a way of sampling. Unfortunately, like with polls, there's always a margin of error, call it sampling risk in the audit sphere. And it struck me that if there was a way to robustly analyze all transactions back to bank statements where forensic professionals start, that there was a a bigger opportunity at play to favorably impact the audit and assurance profession as well
1: what does Validate do at the end of the day? So what you're talking about is earlier you had this Ponzi scheme that you're responsible to look into and it's tons of bank information. So you have to take the source documents, which are the bank statements, and turn it into some type of format. Most likely the way most people do it now is Excel which may be kind of like are antiquated now, but the point being is this probably where it usually starts is people start using Excel and then Validate comes in and does the same thing. What exactly does it do? Is it just takes the bank statement itself and does what with it? How does it get into a format that's that's available for the forensic accountant to use?
0: Our clients in the forensic space, and and they span anywhere from classically trained forensic accountants into uh, matrimonial disputes or fraud investigations. We work with state agencies on Medicaid fraud investigations, commercial disputes. We work with bankruptcy trustees. So there's a broad array of folks by title that are needing to understand where did the money go. Mm -hmm. For our platform, it's a software as a service everything's accessed through your browser. There's lots of security in place, but in short, load up your raw PDF files, bank statements, so checking, savings, credit card account statements, brokerage statements, copies of checks or deposit slips. That's the kind of the totality of evidence that we work with in the investigation space. And our product scans and extracts all of the relevant information from those statements or other docs. Make sure that there's no missing, duplicate, or wrong information along the way flags where there's an issue. In general, for most investigations, 80-plus percentage of the time, the hours that are required in those investigations are often just like you said, opening up a spreadsheet and starting to key in in transactions or perhaps use some kind of legacy OCR tools out there. Mm-hmm. We're really here to to speed up that 80% to a matter of hours or days and taking it from weeks or months or quarters, really dramatically reducing that amount of time. From that, then you can quickly get at a reconciled database. We've got some analytical tools on the back end for identifying flows of funds, transfer matching, data visualization, and other reporting. So we're here to speed up kind of the drudgery and the administrative effort of getting a bank statement and related information.
1: Now, I know by experience, many times when there's an investigation going on, someone says, here's the records that's in a shoebox or in a filing cabinet, right? And then you go through it and you find out I'm missing a bank statement because I got January through October, but I don't have November and December. Great. I'm assuming the software picks up on that, that you're missing something here. It doesn't flow right.
0: We pick up on the absence of information. So one of the key things is that we visualize a timeline of for each account for which data has been loaded. Here's all of the statements that we do have. And then we identify if there's gaps that are missing. And that's, to your point, often one of the very first steps of just identifying, do we have all of the statements that we need to forensically review it?
1: What about the transfers? Like once again, based upon experiences is, is there is bank account A, bank account B, and there's transfers to another bank account that looks like it should be bank account C. We just don't know, but there's money going back and forth. Does it pick up on that as well?
0: Once the statements have been loaded, extracted, and and reconciled through the Validate platform, one of the next steps is to run our what we call our transfer match algorithm that's basically going through every single transaction that's been extracted to see if it can find a matching transfer, the same but opposite dollar amount on the same or similar day. Not all of these transfers happen on the exact same day. So right. we... Our algorithm looks for up to a week of variance between the the send and the receive date, and then allows our users, sometimes there can be false positives. Mm-hmm. So we allow our users to either accept or, or reject those proposed matches. What I think you raised also is if there's money that's being transferred outside of the network of accounts that you have statements for, we're also able to i quickly identify that. That's another part of identifying, do we have everything that we need if we have statements for 10 different accounts if there's money going out to additional accounts maybe we need to expand the scope of our investigation and and go get those additional accounts roughly within a day of loading up evidence into validate you're able to tell quickly if there's money going out to additional accounts beyond those for which you already have
1: yeah it's no fun going six months into your into your analysis and find out oh there's a bank account out there is missing (laughs) <laughs> you don't know, that, how bi- you man- don't know how big it is, but you just know it's missing. Like, oh, great. I don't have everything. The bank said I had everything, but no, I don't have everything.
0: And that manual match process that our algorithm kind of improves upon doing it manually by sorting off of absolute dates and dollar amounts. I had to do it for the Ponzi scheme, roughly 150,000 transactions. It's, it's a brutal exercise. Yes. Um, and one that really requires a keen and focused eye for long periods of time.
1: Now, the, the software itself, once it's done, got the analysis, it's in the format, you take the bank statements and the data, upload it, It's does this magic. What does it export to? Does it export to an Excel spreadsheet or a database? How does it get to the hands of a forensic examiner who's looking at all this?
0: We've got a variety of outputs. One of the most commonly used one is just exporting the data in a structured way out to Excel. Certainly most of us in the forensic accounting world have spent a big chunk of our career in Excel. It's something we're all very familiar with. That's one of the outputs. We also have data visualization that tells the story of sources of funds and being deposited into accounts and where the money went from there, along with the transfers. And we've got a variety of other reports, including a robust PDF report that inventories at a high level. Here's your total activity by account as measured in dollar amounts, statements and transactions. And then at increasing levels of detail, here's your statement level view, here's your transaction level view. So there's a variety of different ways of getting at the data, PDFs, Excel spreadsheets, data visualization. It's never just one. It's kind of the cumulative effect of being able to get at that data and analyze it a variety of different ways, depending on what you're trying to look for.
1: Okay. Cause so the forensic examiner doesn't have to get on the witness stand and say that this is validate software. It's actually exported to a, an Excel to then they can kind of massage it the way they want to massage it and then be able to present it to a jury or to a judge or to an attorney.
0: Correct. Yeah. A lot of our clients are expert witnesses. And one of the things that they're required to do often is, is uh, go through cross examination where the integrity of the data from which they're drawing their report and conclusions is uh, being challenged. So the quality assurance that we've built into our software identifying missing and wrong and duplicate information is extremely helpful for that cross-examination.
1: If someone wants this type of software service, how does someone get a hold of you or your company? Yeah, our website's
0: valid, V-A-L-I-D, the number eight. Financial.com or folks can absolutely reach out to me at t.mcdonald, M-C-D-O-N-A-L-D, at Validate with the number eight, financial.com. I'll
1: be sure to put that in the show notes. From your experience going from college, getting a CPA license and your insolvency experience to now being a co-founder of Validate, are there any resources or training that have helped you? Along your journey going into the forensic accounting and now into the technology space?
0: For a lot of us, there's a lot of curiosity out there and picking up certifications as you get interested in various niches within your chosen corner of the accounting or forensic world, I think is great. I mean, I picked up as a result of this Ponzi case, I picked up my certification in financial forensics. I don't think I've kept up on my CPE as I've been building out validate for that one, but great training there just in terms of learning how forensic accountants operate and court proceedings and evidence and so on. The Certified Insolvency and Restructuring Advisor, really great certification. Certainly taken some valuation courses. Haven't picked up certifications along the way, just focus required to actually get those with issuing or having years of experience in the valuation field. But being able to pick up situational awareness in lots of different areas, whether it's tax or audit forensics or expert witness testimony, et cetera, it's very interesting
1: it seems like you kind of swerved into this technology forensic accounting field through this big ponzi scheme case is that would that be fair to say
0: but for that Ponzi case, validate I wouldn't have started to validate. I just wouldn't have had a the situational awareness to know that there was this turns out relatively large field out there of needing to understand where did the money go. And as I mentioned, you know, there's lots of different use cases where that's applied between litigation, bankruptcy, family law, and certainly from state, federal, and local agencies from a prosecution and investigation standpoint.
1: When you started your accounting career and where you're at right now, what do you wish you had known?
0: Well, as it relates to the last uh, six years or so at, at Validate, I'd say just awareness and recognition of how long it takes to build really good and scalable software from the ground up. Most of the technologies I'd worked at in the past had already gotten to the level where they had large investment from venture capital. The general concept had already been launched. Initial customers and hiring of Salesforce had, had already been done. It's a little bit different starting your own company. It just takes a lot of time and effort to get that initial version one of the software Mm -hmm. built, and then additional features, enhancements, bug fixes along the way. And along those same lines, it takes a long time to build up a sales and marketing team to go expand your footprint. So I guess just the grit and tenacity that it takes to build scalable software solutions is a, a good reminder.
1: In your story, I don't I don't hear a computer nerd programming background. Did you have to get one or just something that you kind of outsource as part of your development?
0: Thankfully, I know and surround myself with people who are a lot smarter than me, including <laughs> those with deep technical and uh, engineering and product capabilities. So you most certainly did not hear any of those skills from me. I'm just the guy with, at the whiteboard drawing what, what the program needs to do. I'm not actually the one who's able to build
1: it. Looking back in your career right now, what's the biggest mistake or lost opportunity? What would you you do differently if you could?
0: Yeah, I don't really look at it like that. I've gotten to work on so many uh, kind of crazy projects around the country and around the world that I really appreciate the experiences that I do have or have had, certainly being in the having spent some time in the technology world, there's uh, some missed opportunities. I mean, one of the companies I was at when I left was trading at $3 a share. A handful of years later, it got sold at $120 a share. So uh, monetarily, there was certainly <laughs> some missed missed opportunities uh, along the way.
1: All right. You ready for the final four questions? Let's do it. All right, final four. You have gone from CPA World internal audit to now in the forensic accounting space, in particular in the software, and I would consider almost like data management in order to get data into a into a readable format. What is your biggest motivation now?
0: Just to really keep building on terms of what we've built, as I mentioned, our target audience right now has really been focused on those forensic investigators. We'll be expanding the amount of information that can be pulled into our platform and integrated, synthesized, analyzed to um, general ledger, subledger information. And so we're going to be expanding beyond forensics into Transaction advisory services and audit customers with the passage of time. These things take a while both to build, actually sell and market. But there is just a a ton of opportunity for expanding the footprint of robust auditing and reviewing of of information to verify its accuracy. And that's whether it's in a forensic engagement, an audit engagement, regular due diligence or upfront quality of earnings or transaction advisory capacity, whether you're on buy side or sell side of of transactions. We call it, broadly speaking, verified financial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And there's an expanding list of types of data that we will be able to ingest, synthesize, and report in to really enhance the deliverable and the analysis for our professional clients.
1: What book or books have changed your life or thinking? Uh, if I was going to
0: pick a kind of a current one. I'd say that there's a book out there called The Future of the Professions with a subtitle of How Technology Will Transform the Work of Human Experts. The author's Daniel Suskind, I, I believe he's out of the UK. Really fascinating book, really touching on the impact that artificial intelligence will be having in the coming decades amongst a, a broad swath of professionals, including attorneys, accountants doctors a lot of professions that haven't seen necessarily huge change from you know what we've seen in the automation of production in the manufacturing capacity this wave of artificial intelligence it's building behind the scenes but it's logarithmic growth and logarithmic capacity and it will be having very profound impacts in a wide variety of elite professions that are out there. So it really very interesting read and, and kind of crystal ball into what the next several decades may look like across a wide variety of professions by way of artificial intelligence and, and other technology.
1: Share something that you've purchased in the last 12 months, less than $100 that you enjoyed or made your job easier. What would that be?
0: I'm on the road a lot, so TSA pre-check is an absolute (laughs) must. I'm at a lot of conferences, forensic, bankruptcy, white collar, crime, legal conferences. So that's definitely a big part of it. And then just getting out for face-to-face meetings now that we've got the pandemic behind us for new prospective clients who, who may benefit from our services.
1: If you had to do something else, you had to walk away, you could no longer be part of Validate, could no longer be part of Forensic, what would you be doing?
0: I got to say, I got addicted to the... Uh, bankruptcy and from a trustee or receiver standpoint, it's like drinking from a fire hose. You're getting different projects, different industries, different companies, different issues. You kind of get airdrop into a new case often very rapidly. And you have to learn the fundamentals of the business, what's, uh, what's good about the industry and the company and where the weaknesses are are Mm -hmm. those weaknesses fixable and diving in on cash flows and valuations and prospective buyers or competitors that may be out there deadlines are tight, really interesting interaction between attorneys and accountants and other professionals. So I I just find that work very
1: addicting. Well, very good. Thank you so much, Todd, for being on the podcast. I do appreciate what you're doing out there. And thank you so much for uh, being an entrepreneur and having this product out there. I will tell the audience I've used Validate on one of my engagements that I had. And it was was very good enough to the point where I was, I wanted to have Todd on the show to explain this because I know from being a criminal investigator with IRS for many years, it was a lot of inputting, and then we ended up getting some OCR stuff and inputting and then putting into a spreadsheet. But it still had to be reconciled. It was just a it was a just a big, large process, and uh, especially when you had to recreate things. and And having something like this would definitely would be definitely worthwhile for people who have large projects. and Thank you so much, Todd, for what you do.
0: Robert, very grateful to spend some more time with you. Thank you.